Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, I just heard that Paco Alonso, the uh, president of CMLL in Mexico City, passed away. I don't know why it hit me so hard, but it did, because he, he was the first guy that believed in me and made me into a main event star in 1993. He gave me the name Corazón I don't know what happened. I don't know uh, how he passed away, but he was pretty young. And uh, I just want to say thanks, Paco, for believing in me, believing in a skid from Canada. <laughs> And uh, thanks for giving me a chance and always taking care of me. You're one of the best bosses I ever had. Thanks, Paco. Mucho gusto, senor. I love you. Thanks, Paco. Okay, so uh, as you just heard, um, that's what I posted on Instagram uh, a couple nights ago when I found out that Paco Alonso had passed away. And you might be asking, well, who is Paco Alonso and why was Chris crying? And and, and I don't know, it just really hit me hard. You know, guys come and go in the business um, uh, that you meet and, and some have a little bit of impact and some have a lot of impact and there's some that basically changed the course of a career. And Paco was like that for me. Um, uh, obviously, this is Talk is Jericho and um, talking about the death of Paco Alonso. And so Paco Alonso was the head of Consejo Mundial de Lucha Libre. Now, what I'm going to talk about over the next you know hour or whatever it is, I may get some of the actual details and facts wrong and some of the real trivia and that sort of thing. So if I do get some facts wrong and some info wrong, uh, bear with me. Um, obviously not doing this to get the facts and figures right on, on, on Mexican wrestling, but, uh, CMLL, uh, used to be EMLL, Impresa, uh, De Lucha Libre or whatever it is. Um, the longest running wrestling company in the world started, I believe, in the twenties by the Luteroth family, who basically owns all of the arenas, including Arena Mexico, Arena Coliseo, which is in Mexico City, uh, Arena Guadalajara. There's a, a Coliseo in Guadalajara. There's a Coliseo, uh, I believe, in Acapulco, um, Merida, uh, Pachuca. You name it. If there's if there's a big town. 
uh, big city close to Mexico. The the Luteroff family owns the arenas, and that's how they've been able to survive for so long in the wrestling business. Is that they don't pay any rent for arenas, uh, and they don't have to worry about booking arenas or all, any of that sort of stuff because they own the arenas, so they're in charge. So basically, um, if they get two people show up. For a match, well, you know, if they do a profit share with the guys, which is how it works in Mexico, if they do a $500 gate, you know, they take their rent for 200, uh, or the, you know, they, they take their $250 profit and give $250 to the boys and, and they all make money. So, um, and Paco took over, uh, I believe, for his uncle years ago. And when I first went to Mexico, Paco was in charge. And he's basically the guy that that made me into a, a, a very big star in Mexico as a 22-year-old, you know, I said in the video, skid from Canada, which is basically what I was because I, I started wrestling October 2nd, 1990. And I started uh, working kind of in Canada and small independence in Canada, a couple of things in the States. I did one tour of uh, one or two tours of Japan for FMW, but basically, you know, it was kind of floundering and, and, and working, but not, you know, working a real slight pace. And this is when I was a 19 year old kid, 20 year old kid, 21 year old kid and wanted to work every night of the week. If I could, well, that wasn't happening for me in Canada. What happened was I met a guy called Mike Lozanski. He was called Tigre Canadiense in, uh, in Mexico. He was a guy that uh, lived in Calgary and was one of the first guys I ever met in the wrestling business kind of took me under his wing, me, him and a guy called Brett Como who ended up being called the black dragon. He was, uh, Asai's, uh, rival, the was the ultimate dragon and Como was the ultimate dragon in WAR for a short period of time. And then basically became the black dragon, uh, in Canada afterwards. But Como Lazansky and I, were kind of the three musketeers when I first started out. Now, Mike's parents were, were very wealthy, uh, oil family. So Mike didn't really worry about money so much. He just wanted to live his dream of being a wrestler. Was a super nice, friendly guy, got along with everybody. And as a result, everybody liked him. So he had so many opportunities in the wrestling business because people would hire Lazansky, good-looking guy, a pretty decent worker for the time, kind of a pseudo high flyer meaning he did you know head scissors and cross bodies off the top and drop kicks and basically what high flyers were in the early 90s before we got to you know fosbury flops and, and space flying tiger drops and those type of things you know 450 moon salts or whatever you want to say so i hooked up with mike and um the bottom line was whenever we went on trips mike would pay the expenses of the trans you know the car and the gas and the hotels but we would basically just have to be on Mike's schedule and do whatever Mike wanted us to do. So, um, which was fine. You know, I always had to drive at night and I couldn't believe that. I remember our first road trip. I was like, what time are we going to pull over and stop? You know, cause when I used to go on trips with my parents, you would stop as soon as it got dark, eight or nine o'clock, you'd pull up to the old travel lodge or the, the holiday inn and you'd go stay overnight and wake up in the morning, and continue on. Not like that in wrestling is what happens is when it gets dark and it starts getting late. The young boy has to drive overnight, which was me. I did not realize that until I started riding with Lozanski and did very uh, quite a few 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. driving shifts. And believe me, there's nothing worse than uh, being a nighttime driver when that morning dawn hits you, because that's when you realize that you're tired and it's 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 uh, it's now uh, you know time you were supposed to go to bed and now you're staying up even longer because you're still driving and the sun is coming up. 
my point in all this is that Mike, uh, like I said, kind of took me under his wing and, and we kind of rode the roads together. And then Mike was working in Mexico. He worked quite a bit for uh, UWA, which was Carlos Minez. Uh, Bad News Allen got him in there because Bad News was uh, good friends with Mike and Mike's family. So Mike was working quite a bit over there. Uh, he started working in Monterrey, Mexico, uh, kind of a smaller company for an offshoot of CMLL. It was run by a guy called uh, Carlos Elizondo. He wanted Mike to get a, a tag team partner that was also another good looking kid. Mike thought of me. And in December of 1992, I went to Monterrey, Mexico, uh, where I was called uh, Lionheart. And uh, Elizondo uh, put me in... Uh, let me just say they're uh, ball huggers is what we used to call them. You think of think of a speedo with a little bit longer legs, but super tight. You could tell what religion I was, uh, <laughs> and Elizondo loved it, uh, which is you know fine. Um, but uh, it's, it's a great story. I went to Mexico and and they were going to decide what my name was going to be because I wanted to be called Lionheart because all the guys that I was influenced by at the time all had the name of animals. There was, think about this, there was Chris Benoit was Wild Pegasus. Eddie Guerrero was Black Tiger. You had uh, Two Cold Scorpio. You had Jushin Liger. You had Ultimate Dragon. Uh, you know, all these guys seem to be some kind of a, of a, of a, of a, of a animal, a mammal of, of one way or another. Uh, you know, even when you Super Delphin, that was a good one for Michinoko Pro. Uh, I remember one time Dean Malenko told me he was on a card with Super Delphin and Super Delphin wasn't working that night, and uh, Dean said they left you off the card on porpoise. Boom, boom, boom. Psh. Anyways, um, I uh, went there to Monterey, and there was a contest to decide my name because I wanted to be called Lionheart. Uh, I thought that was a great name, kind of an offshoot. I was from the Hart Brothers uh, Dungeon, the Lionheart. I had long hair like a lion, you know, that sort of a thing. So they, uh, Elizondo, decided to do like a contest to see what my name was going to be. And you could, uh, I still have it somewhere. Uh, you could cut out uh, uh, this little uh, uh, like order form, like um, from the newspaper entry form, I guess you'd say, what should, you know, Chris Jericho's wrestling name be here in Mexico? Picture of me in the paper, you know, long hair, you know, muscular guy, hot young baby face, whatever I was. And they gave you three choices where you could be either, I would be either Lionheart, He-Man, or Chris Power. And that was Power spelled P-O-W-R-E. And Alessandro really wanted to call me He-Man. He was super, uh, super convinced that that was the way to go. And I was like, I can't be He-Man. Like, what am I going to do? Walk to the ring with like, a, you know, a sword to to slice my opponents in two, behead them for the three count. Uh, and plus I already had my heart set on uh, Lionheart, you know, and, and I was always that kind of a guy that when I had my mind set on something, I wouldn't really listen to what the promoters wanted me to, even though I was a punk kid who knew nothing. The very first match I ever had uh, on the program, it said Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. Because the promoter wanted to call me a cowboy. It's like, I hate cowboys. I don't want to be a cowboy. As a matter of fact, I even told Brett Como. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, they want me to be a cowboy. And then I call me Cowboy Chris Jericho. He's like, well, just tell him you don't want to do it. Don't do it. And I was like, what do you mean don't do it? I have, a, I have a choice. Like, I have an option. He's like, yeah, just don't do it. Can you imagine now if a guy 
before his first match told the promoter no on a gimmick idea. If the roles were reversed and that was me, I would have made that kid wear a giant dumb and dumber cowboy hat and, and, and came to the ring on a damn hobby horse with, with assless chaps like David Lee Roth at the S Festival in 1983. <laughs> but instead, they didn't make me be a cowboy, but they had already printed out the program. So I was listed as Cowboy Chris Jericho from, uh, from, from Casper, Wyoming. So anyways, so those are the three names that I was going to be. It was Lionheart, He-Man, or Chris Power. And they sent me onto this show. It was called Lucha, uh, Lucha, um, what's it, Sabado, Lucha Sabado or something like that, where every Saturday night they did kind of this local cable company version of, uh, of, of a wrestling show where, where the commentators wore masks. And I was like, why are the hosts of the show wearing masks? Are they on the run from the law or, or are they going to take on other masked hosts? Little did I know that. Fast forward, you know, 28 years, I'd be working for a company where the commentator wears a mask at Excalibur and AEW. But at the time, I thought it was really ridiculous. And I sat down at this talk show and they interviewed me, even though I spoke hardly any Spanish and they spoke hardly any English. And there you go. And at the end of the show, they had a news, uh, a piece of paper in an envelope where they had the, re- the results. And it was like American Idol, like in this envelope is the results of his name. And they did it for real. Cause I was like, well, just say that Lionheart wins. And Alexander was like, no, like you're going to be whatever the, the fans vote. So they, you know, they open up the, the letter and he's like, and the winner is Lionheart. And these mariachis start playing and confetti flies through the air. And the new hero of Monterey was crowned in Lionheart. As the uh, place was getting cleaned up and everyone was walking out, I went over to the piece of paper just to see what the results were. And I read and it was like Lionheart, 67 votes. He-Man, 65 votes. 14 for Chris Power. And I was like, what's worse, the fact that 14 people wanted me to be called Chris Power or the fact that Lionheart won by two votes only or the fact that only, you know, 147 people voted for this thing? Like, (laughs) how on over am I? All this is getting to more Paco Alonso stuff, as you can imagine. So I started working in Monterrey, Mexico, and it was kind of like working, let's say, for ECW or or Ring of Honor, uh, where it was a smaller company that had some TV, but not huge TV, but enough that if you were on it and people were watching, you could be seen. Uh, what I didn't know is I had a match against Black Magic, who's Norman Smiley, now uh, one of the most uh, critically acclaimed and, and loved trainers in NXT. I helped him get that job, by the way. And this is the reason why. When I was in Monterey, it was uh, 1992, I think probably December, maybe. And he was supposed to, Magic was, the, was the, the CMLL world champion at the time. And he was supposed to face Vampiro. Vampiro hurt his leg, or so he said, but he didn't want to do the match. And so Elizondo put me in Vampiro's place. So it was Black Magic versus Lionheart. Before the show, I met Vampiro, who told me if I really want to get over in Mexico, I should wear a loincloth. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, a loincloth's going to help you get over. One of many uh, (laughs) great experiences I had with the the famous Vampiro. Um, Anyways, so we had this match. And when you do a title match in Mexico at the time, you got double pay. And I think I was getting $500 for the Sunday match because Sundays were really big, even on Monterey. And it's funny because it, I think uh, the place was called Plaza Monu- uh, uh, the Monumental. Plaza Mon- Monumental, I think was the name of the venue. 
And um, we just went back there probably about 10 years ago with WWE. And I couldn't believe how small it was. Meanwhile, when I first went there, I couldn't believe how big it was. It was the biggest place I'd ever been. Thousands of people were there. It probably holds, I don't know, four or 5,000, which, you know, in WWE land, it's a decent size, you know, small town venue. Uh, but when I was working from on a rate, it felt like the freaking Tokyo Dome. So um, I worked this match with Magic and I got double pay, which was $1,000 instead of 500. And we had a three fall match. I think it was three falls. Or maybe a championship was just one fall, which I think might have been what it was. But if it was two out of three falls, Magic put me over in one of the falls and then beat me in the, in the other two. Or if it was just one long match, he put me over. He made me look so good. And after the match was done, because he didn't know who I was, he was like, you know, that was really good and thank you. And little did I know that when that match got on TV, somebody saw it and pointed it out to Paco to where he wanted to get this Lionheart up to the big league. So it'd be like getting a call uh, from Vince McMahon to go to WWE if you were in Ring of Honor, or I guess now NXT, but it's kind of, well, maybe it was kind of an NXT thing because it was technically connected somehow. It's like an offshoot, you know, like a, a outpost version of CMLL. So it'd be like getting the call from NXT if Vince saw your match on TV. So fast forward a couple months, I think it was probably February or so, I was going to go back to Monterey again for another stint. And I think the first stint I went with Mike was kind of uh, October, mid-October to mid-December. And then I think we were going to go back from mid-January to mid-March or something like that because um, they ran all year long. So you could go there and stay there for a year if you wanted to. So I was at home in, in, in Calgary, Okotoks, uh, actually, which is outside of Calgary, represent Okotoks. And I was living with a family, uh, the Palcos, and old days, no cell phones then, guys. You got to call someone's house, and whoever's home answers the phone, and hello, is Chris there? <laughs> Chris, phone, that sort of a thing. So I was at home one day, and uh, the mom, Mrs. Palco, Bev, Chris, phone. I came downstairs, and it was a guy that I had met one time in Monterey. He was a toy maker. He made, like, uh, I think he had the, 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 the merchandising rights to... Uh, uh, CMML action figures, whatever they were making at the time back in 1993. And he knew Paco. And Paco asked him, do you know this guy, Lionheart? Because back then, maybe a little bit harder to get a hold of people or whatever the reason was. I guess he was trying to find someone that knew me to see if he had a number on me. And this toy maker guy somehow got the number of where I was living from the Palcos. And called me and said, hey, Paco wants you to fly to Mexico to meet with him. And I was like, really? That's great. Um, I'll be in Monterey next week. He's like, great. Uh, let's pick a day and, and um, you know, I'll pick you up at the airport and, and, and I'll take you down to Arena, Mexico and, and you can meet Paco. So I was just thought it was the greatest thing ever. But if he said, keep it on the down low because I don't want... Uh, Elizondo to find out or whatever just didn't want to get around that I was kind of using Peter to pay Paul you know using Elizondo to fly me to Mexico so I could go meet with with Paco so I did my match because in Monterey you would only work Friday and Sunday I think it was or, or just Sunday sometimes so I was basically there all week long just hanging out which is so crazy to think about that now but I had the match on the Sunday and then I think the Monday I I, I 
you know, had enough money to buy a plane ticket to Mexico City. Because it's quite a long way from Monterey to Mexico. Think, let's say, Detroit to, I don't know, Dallas, something along those lines. Or like, you know, Seattle to, to L.A. Because it's northern Mexico to kind of southern Mexico, that sort of thing. Middle Mexico. And I flew there. And uh, the doll guy picked me up in his car and took me to Arena Mexico. Now, Arena Mexico is one of the most famous arenas in the world. It's a lot like Madison Square Garden or, uh, you know, like, you know, the Budokan in Tokyo. Uh, and once again, don't forget, owned by the Luteroths, owned by Paco and his family. And it's an arena with an office attached to it, uh, with the, the gym that they train. It's a big kind of one-stop shop for CMLL. And if you're a Lucha Libre fan... Uh, or a wrestling fan at all, especially the history of wrestling, you got to go to Arena Mexico at, at some point in time. But it's right in the middle of downtown Mexico City. So Mexico City traffic, I mean, it's the biggest city in the world. There's, you know, literally, I think, 30 million people there or whatever it is. So to get down there takes a while. But to go there, I remember you show up and, and, and you, you open the door and you walk up a flight of stairs. I can see it in my in my mind right now. And there's kind of a, an office to the left with a, a foyer. And that's where uh, uh, the waiting room, basically, to see Paco. And Lupita was the secretary. Lupita. She was the one that you would wait there. Very cute little Mexican girl. And she didn't speak English. But she's always very friendly, very nice. So I went in there and uh, the doll maker basically said, you know, I'll, I'll wait for you downstairs or whatever it was. And you go up there and like, here's this, you know, blonde uh, white, you know, good looking kind of muscled up guy walks in there. So of course everyone's like, Oh, who's this guy? You know, cause the place is filled with, with wrestlers because everyone goes there to hang out. You get your booking sheet in there. Uh, what they would do is they would put the schedule up on the wall every uh, Monday, I think it was. So it would almost be like when you were a kid and you would go look at who's going to be in your class this year. And they would have the, the list on the wall and everyone would gather around and, you know, you'd, or you'd have to wait your turn to see who's in your class. So I remember they did that for the hockey team one time. Who made the hockey team? And they put it up on the locker and everybody's kind of hanging around waiting to see. You can see it. The tall guys see it first, obviously. So there would be the list of shows. And in Mexico, there were so many shows on a weekly basis because there were so many arenas that Paco owned and also Paco would basically lease his guys out to other people in the area that had, uh, had arenas. So you could basically, I remember in Mexico city on a Sunday at one point in time, and this is no exaggeration. There was like 200 shows on a Sunday and there was 30 shows that were like CMML related. So everyone's working on Sunday. Uh, and then, you know, Tuesday is arena Coliseo and Wednesday is Pachuca and, Thursday is uh, is Acapulco and Friday is Arena Mexico and Saturday is uh, Arena Coliseo and Sunday is Arena Mexico or Guadalajara and then you would just go every week and you would be working on one of those shows so uh, but so the guys were always hanging around in there so when I went in there of course they're looking at me who is this guy and uh, I go in there and sit down to meet Paco Alonso the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Okay, as we continue on with the story of Jericho and Paco Alonso and CMLL, uh, I finally go and uh, sit there in that office as I take a quick drink here. It's not easy talking for an hour straight. And I finally get invited into the office. Paco will see you now. I go inside. Now, you got to remember, in this arena, Mexico, hardly anybody spoke English. It just wasn't the way it was at that time. Uh, it might not even be that way now. And even Lupita just spoke very nominal, uh, you know, menial English. And um, I walked into Paco's office, and here's this guy sitting behind a desk. Uh, didn't look Mexican at all. If you expect a Mexican look, glasses, kind of thinning hair, a nice trim beard, and, and not a suit and ties you might expect a boss to be wearing. Just kind of a collared shirt and uh, you know, dress pants or whatever. And hello, Chris, Paco Alonso, perfect English with a hint of, of an accent. Hello, Chris, Paco Alonso, nice to meet you. How are you? Type of a thing. Wow. Like this guy was educated. You could tell he was educated and he was smart and he was super friendly. And he's the type of guy that, you know, I like this guy right off the bat. And for promoters, especially at the time, I mean, I knew a lot of promoters and, that you know, they're trying to just rip you off and kind of dicks or whatever. But I'll say this about Paco. He's one of my three favorite bosses I've ever had in my career. One is Paco, two is uh, against Rotenru from WAR, and three is, is Vince McMahon. Uh, all, other bosses are great. I mean, obviously, I just started with AEW, so Tony Khan is a great boss. I've only been working there for a short time. But over the over the pantheon of my career, those are the three guys that really stood out as changing my career for the better and, and making me a better performer and making me into a legit headlining star. Uh, and Paco, right off the bat, obviously, he said, I saw your match with Black Magic. Uh, it was an excellent match. I want to have you come work with me uh, here and um, it was like, that's it? Like, it's that easy? And he's like, yeah, that's that's that easy. And um, I said, well, I'm working for Elizondo for the next, you know, whatever it was, the next three weeks or whatever. And he said, fine, when it's done, go home, you know, kind of uh, clear your mind, come back and see me and uh, we'll get started. So it was that quick and that easy. And then I remember saying to him, what, what, what do you want my name to be? Because uh, I said, you know, I, I kind of want to be Lionheart. And he's like, I want you to be Corazón de León, which is heart of a lion, a.k.a. Lionheart in Spanish. And at first I remember kind of not liking that too much. It was kind of weird because I was like, really? Because you have Blue Demon, who's a Mexican guy with an English name. You got Silver King, who's another Mexican guy with an English name. And now you're taking the Canadian guy and giving him a, a Spanish name. He's like, no, that, that's, that's what we want to do. It'll uh, ingratiate you better with, with our fans and uh, 
I actually don't remember him even giving much of an explanation. He just said, your name is Corazon de Leon. I really like it. And I would like you to to be that. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Sure. Sounds good. And I remember for a, a quick second, because I didn't wear a mask in Monterey. I never wore a mask. But I said, do you want me to wear a mask? He said, absolutely not. Why would we cover your face? The girls are going to love your face. And there's no way we're covering it up. And that was basically the extent of, of the first talks that I had with him. And when I went and got my commitments done with Elizondo and came back, I remember I was walking to meet up with him. And that's when we were going to talk about, you know, uh, where am I going to stay and all this stuff. And I saw it happen just out of nowhere. I happened to run into Black Magic. And he said, as I was walking to meet Paco, he said, uh, everything cool? Yeah, it's very cool. And he said, I'm glad you're here. Uh, when he asks you where you're going to stay or he starts talking about where you're going to stay, tell him you want to stay at the Plaza Madrid. Don't let them put you at the Matamoros or whatever the other hotel is. I can't remember the exact one. I think Matamoros is actually a, a, a town in, near Mexico City. Um, and he said, make sure you ask him to put you at the Plaza Madrid in a corner room. And I was like, okay. So I went in and I remember we talked about where I was going to stay. And I said, uh, I, I'd like to stay at the Plaza Madrid, which was the much nicer hotel. It's where Black Magic stayed and Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero and then all those guys. Uh, King Haku was there and all that sort of stuff. So, um, so yeah, and he put me in there, no problems, no questions asked. And I can't remember what my guarantee was. I think my guarantee was a, a, a minimum of four matches. I believe it was for whatever the peso level that would give me a thousand dollars a week. So let's say 3000 pesos at the time, the exchange rate was three pesos for a dollar, I think. So if you made 3000 pesos, you would get $1,000, whatever that math adds up to be. I think it was $3.15 per peso or 3.15 pesos per dollars, whichever one it is. And uh, he said, for a minimum of four matches, uh, you probably work more um, depending how hot you get, but I want to use you for four matches every, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Those are our big days. And I think Tuesday, which was one of the shows, he said, those are the days you're going to work uh, and the other days you'll be off and we'll put you at the Plaza Madrid. And he said, and you can stay here as long as you want. If you want to go home, just tell me, I'll book you off. If you want to go home for a week or, or, or a month or whatever, he said, I want you to be here as much as you possibly can because that way we can really build you. But he said, we have so many guys here, so many stars and so many shows. If you leave, it's it's not going to be a big deal. Just kind of keep me in the loop. And that was it. And uh, he was basically like, I have some real big plans for you. And here's kind of where you're going to start. And I remember my first night was in Arena Coliseo and it was the uh, semi-main event and a six-man. And um, that was it, off and running in Mexico City. He also said to me, I'm going to put you with Hector Guerrero. And at first I was like, like, how do you mean? Like as a tag team? He's like, no, I'm going to put Hector with you to, um, to show you around, to show you the ropes because you don't speak Spanish. You've never been here. Uh, Hector's going to kind of be your mentor, you know, and, and, and help you out. And, and basically I had never met Hector. Um, I think Paco might've even brought him into the meeting or, or whatever it was, but he had told, uh, Paco had told Hector, I, I want you to to take care of this kid and kind of show him the ropes and, and mentor him and make sure he gets from point A to point B. And if he has any questions, he's coming to you. So I'll never forget Hector for that as well, or for Paco for being smart enough to put me with Hector Guerrero because Hector was such a, 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 a very, very good at, at helping me get around. And now when I say help me get around, you're talking about going you're not just working in Mexico City, which is fine. I can get a taxi and go anywhere. When you're working in Matamoros or you're working in Pachuca or Puebla or 
Toluca or any of these places that we used to go to, there's no team bus taking you there. At least there wasn't at the time. I don't have a car. Uh, you got to get there by bus. How's that for uh, for uh, uh, paying your dues in the business, guys? The, the guys that work at NXT and get pissed off because they don't get a push or whatever it is, and they're making you know two thousand bucks a week to train and hang out. We had to take a bus, and I'm talking a Greyhound bus. So somebody had to show me to go to the bus terminal, and here's what kind of buses you take. There was one specific bus line. I can't remember what it was. It was called like EDM or ETA or something where make sure you can take these buses because they kind of have like a first class bus seat and they're a little bit more expensive, but it's worth it. And by a little bit more expensive, rather than paying, you know, 40 pesos, you pay 60. Like it's not that much of a big deal. So um, you go there and, and, and you go to the bus station and Hector would say, okay, you have to buy your ticket and make sure it's on EDM bus and you need to leave at this time. And then you're going to get into Toluca and you take your taxi to the arena and you do your match. And then the taxi after back to the bus station to get on the bus to drive to back to Mexico City, because usually a hub out of Mexico City. Now, you might think, well, how hard can that be? Well, try doing it in a foreign country. No cell phone, no nothing, you know, and no, no, and no Spanish, basically. And uh, so by, by Paco putting me with Hector, it really helped me out a lot. And I remember I would always, they'd always ask my name for the bus ticket. And I'd say, you know, Chris Irvin would be, okay, Chris Irvin, Chris Beanbang, Chris Boomerang. Finally, I would just say, when they asked me what my name was, I would just say Jose Sanchez. And they would kind of look at me weird and put Jose Sanchez on the ticket. And that way I didn't have to worry about it, just getting in and get out. But, um, you know, so Paco also would show up every week, every Friday at Arena Mexico which is the big show every week. It'd be like having uh, like a residency at MSG or something like that where you're, you're actually working there every single week and Paco would be there. A lot of times Paco would show up with a little bit of a buzz on, like, like to have some drinks for the big show on a Friday. And he also had one of his eyes was, I don't know if he had a glass eye or something was wrong with one of his eyes and behind his back, the guys would call him Blinky. <laughs> the English guy, Blinky's here tonight. He's pretty, he's pretty torched up. So Paco would show up there and, and, you know, be a little bit loaded. And sometimes he'd be super loaded, <laughs> which, you know, which is kind of funny, but it's kind of Mexico, right? There's like no real rules there, but always a perfect gentleman. Conan said it best when we were talking about, about uh, the passing of, 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 of uh, Paco. He was a, he was a total gentleman. Think about that. A total gentleman. And what a, what a great thing to, to be, to be remembered for and to be called by the guys that worked for you. Because Paco was a gentleman. He never once, ever, get ready for the edit, never f***ed me once for the, for the almost two years that I worked for him. I was there from April of 93 to April of 95, basically two years. And, and you know, going back and forth and leaving, but he was my employer for two years. And um, he, never, he, never, he never screwed me on a payoff. He never screwed me on a booking. He never screwed me on an angle. Every single penny that I was owed, I got it. Every single show that he promised, I got it. And every single thing that he told me was going to happen with whatever I was booking and doing and the matches I was having and the, the titles I was winning, I got it. He, he put me over, as a matter of fact, for the NWA middle, Middleweight Championship which had been held by Gory Guerrero, like Eddie's dad. had been around for that long. And he put me over at Mano, Mano Negra. Uh, and I had it for a whole year until I lost it to uh, 
to Ultimo Dragon to Asahi. And he kept it on me for a year. And it was a pretty big deal to have that belt. I think I probably would have had the heavyweight championship had I been there longer and been there more. Because the last match I ever had was for the CMML world title against Apollo Dantes, which I didn't win, but it was also my last show there. Uh, and had I, uh, if I had, I had more, more shows and, and more tours, I think I probably would have ended up working Apollo quite a bit. Um, also made sure to always put me in high profile matches and always made sure that I got magazine coverage, which how do I know he made sure because the, the, Paco had a list of guys that were his priorities uh, and I was one of them. And at the time, the uh, wrestling magazines were very, very important. They still might be, but like, there was a point in time there where you would have like 20 wrestling magazines on a uh, on a newsstand. And boy, howdy, I was on, boy, howdy, where the hell did I get that from? I was on, I don't know, 20 or 30 covers over the years. There was a point in time at one point I was on four covers on the stand um, uh, uh, in one week, you know, so you go there, you see like, oh my gosh, there's four different covers here. So you can see kind of where I'm going with this in that there was a lot of, of love from Paco towards Corazon de Leon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So Paco kind of always had his ear to the ground too over what was going on. And I remember one time um, I was going to Acapulco and I was the champion, the uh, NWA middleweight champion, as I told you. And I got to the airport. Now this is in the days pre 9-11 when you could basically show up at an airport 15 minutes before your flight and just walk on. The security was really lax and no one really cared or whatever. And I was a little bit late for the flight because the traffic was bad. I got to the security line and I went to the front and the guy was kind of being a dick to me. I think a little of that is because a lot of times when they would see gringos, you know, white guys, they might be a little bit, a little bit of, there's a lot of bravado there, shall we say. And when I got to the front of the line and went through the security, the guy saw that I had a title because you always carry your, your, your championship title. That's <laughs> my Vince McMahon, the, the schooling. The championship titles, Black pal. They're not belts. Belts is something you buy at JCPenney's to hold up your pants. So championship title, a.k.a. belt. Um, when I had the belt, she saw, uh, he saw that it was in my bag. He took it out. He's like, oh, look at this. And of course, it's to show it to everybody. And I'm like, I got to go. My flight leaves in 10 minutes. And something that I said 
the way I said it pissed him off because then he started like, you know, unscrewing the tube of the toothpaste and, you know, like, like squishing it out a bit to see if it had, you know, like bomb toothpaste in there or whatever the hell it was. And I started getting mad and I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta go. And the guy started getting a little bit cheeky with me. So I got kind of in his face. Then another guard put, put their arm on me. I turned around and shoved the guard. And the guard kind of stumbled and fell down. And I turned around. It was, it was a girl. It was a woman guard. So then all hell broke loose and everybody's kind of surrounding me and yelling and screaming. And I hear this from behind me. Hey, what's the problem? Hey, you leave my friend alone. And it was King Haku one of the toughest humans of all time. Not just in wrestling, in real life. Ask any guy who the toughest guy in wrestling is, they'll all say Haku. So Haku, I look and he's running down the concourse. Now he's about 320 at the time, six foot two, just a beast, like a rhino running down there. And he's like, I leave my friend alone. So we're gathered around, uh, or these guys are gathered around us like two gunslingers, with three, four, five, six, you know, security airport cops gathered around us. And they're kind of coming closer and closer and closer. And Tonga picked one of them up, kind of like Darth Vader uh, in Star Wars, where he picks the guy off the ground by, like, his neck. Well, Tonga picked him up by his shoulder type of a thing. And then and then they pull the guns out. And then suddenly, you know, they, we've got guns pulled on us. And, you know, party's over. So we have to go to airport jail. Do you guys know there's such thing as airport jail? You ever heard of that? I have, because I've been in the one in Mexico City. And him and I sat there for, I don't know, hour. Felt like 10 hours. It could have been three minutes, but it felt like a long time. Because we don't know what's going to happen to us. And finally, a guy comes in, another very eloquently dressed uh, guy, speaks really good English. And he's like, basically, you know, I don't know what happened. I'm sure there's a little bit of a brouhaha. I think you guys need to uh, put together a little tip for our airport security guards, uh, and we'll let you out of here. AKA, give me some money, motherfuckers, and I'll let you out. So I think we pulled our money together. We had about 300 bucks or whatever. And we gave it to the uh, to the gentleman, the general manager. And he's like, I'll make sure to give this to our airport staff. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you did. Uh, he lets us go. We take a later flight to Acapulco. You know, craziness ensues. There's a whole other story that goes along with that. But bottom line is, is it was a crazy, crazy night. And, and when I got back to the office... A couple days later, Paco goes, oh, if it isn't the king of the airport, how is the airport? Good security in Mexico City Airport. And I, th- I thought, like, I'd pr- am I going to get in trouble for this? But it was much more like the wild, wild west back then where guys were expected to be crazy. And Paco just kind of kept an eye on everything. And obviously someone had told him about it and he knew about it. And he was just giving me a little bit. Of, it's a very Vince thing to do. Just giving a little bit of knowledge to let me know. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> you know, I know what you did. So uh, all good, but you might want to you know, tone it down a bit, uh, king of the airport. But he was like that. Whenever I had issues, I remember one time I had a big problem with Vampiro that I don't have to get into. Uh, and he basically just sat me down and said, what's the problem? I told him this. And my problem was this guy's this and this guy's that. And he said this, he did that. And he, I remember he just said Vampiro's name was Ian, also known as Billy. Uh, it's like Rocky Raccoon. Uh, her name was McGill, but she called herself Lil, but everyone knew her as Nancy. Yeah, his name is Billy, but they call him Vamp, but everyone knew him as Ian, whatever. And he just said, Ian is Ian. Please, don't ever get too excited. Just always remember Ian is Ian. No matter what he says and does, he is this and he does this and he says this. And basically, Paco just kind of diffused the situation, which was very smart for a boss to do. And once again, a very Vince thing to do, um, which is why I compare the two so much, because they both ran this family, you know, this family business uh, with an iron hand, but not like an asshole. 
just as a very smart, educated boss that you could ex- that you could respect and that you could um, you could uh, believe in. And like I said, no knew no matter what he said or did, it would come true. He 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 would follow through with that. So um, you know, and that was it. I would come and go. Every few months, I think the longest stint I had in Mexico was 10 weeks. Uh, I left to go to Germany for six weeks at one point and going to Japan back and forth when Asai brought me to, to WAR. And I remember I was living in a, a, a one-bedroom apartment in Vancouver with two other dudes, Lenny and Lonnie Olson, good guys. And uh, Lenny Olson was Dr. Luther uh, in Japan and in Canadian and, and, and Pacific Northwest Indies, but we lived together. And I was like, uh, my goal, cause I was basically living there. I say that quote unquote, because I just needed a place to basically throw the few belongings that I had and, and a place to get mail because I was on the road so much. And I remember at one point I said, I just want to see how long I can stay on the road for. Cause I got a full-time job in Mexico. I'm working every tour that WR does, which is usually two weeks on two weeks off. And I think I just bounced back and forth between Mexico and Japan for like six months without going to the States to the point. I remember my birthday, I think 1994, my birthday was like 36 hours long. Cause I was flying from Japan to Mexico and with the time difference and change, whatever it was, or maybe it was the other way around. Um, but Paco was cool with it. I remember I would come in and say, Paco, I'm going to be gone from these days to these days. And I'll be here from these days to these days. He's like, great, fine. And he kept that title on me for a year. And I still continued to work there. Um, even of, I did a, a, the stint I had in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. When that ended, I went back to work for Paco. And the only problem with me in Mexico, what really changed it for me, and the reason why I stopped working there was not because of anything Paco did or didn't do. It was, there was two circumstances. One, Art Barr passed away. And he was such a huge part of my Mexican experience. Uh, he was such a great guy. We're going to do a podcast about art uh, very soon here, uh, Dave Meltzer and myself. Um, when he passed away, the whole vibe of Mexico changed for me. It wasn't quite as fun without art there. Uh, and I, I, I grew up a lot because art was the first friend that I had that died. Not a family member or a grandparent. The first guy that I knew as a guy was was Art Bar uh, that died was Art Bar. So when that happened, um, it really threw me for a loop. And then from a personal standpoint, that was the reason. From a financial standpoint, I remember I used to get, uh, once again, I would go get my check. Check was always on time. It was always exactly what it was supposed to be. You'd go to Arena, Mexico and get your check. It's funny. Uh, here's another great Paco story. Guys would always wait for Paco. If they got a payoff they didn't like, they would go wait for Paco. And you'd have a lineup sometimes, especially on paydays, where people would be waiting to talk to Paco. And they knew Paco was in the office. And then after a couple hours, Lupita would say, I'm sorry, Paco's gone. They'd say, how could he be gone? I saw him go in there. She's like, no, he left. He's not le- He's not in. I know he's, he, I know he's in there. I'm sorry he's gone. And lo and behold, you know, if you open the door, he wouldn't be there. Found out later that he had a secret staircase that would take him straight to the parking lot of Arena Mexico from that office. So if he went in the door, he could pull some James Bond type shit and like, you know, turn a bookcase into a staircase and walk down and escape from all the guys that were pissed off about their payoffs and say, I'll, you know, I'll deal with it later. 
<laughs> but I never had that problem. Like I said, he always paid me what, what I expected to make. And if I did more shows, I remember one week I did eight shows in a week. One week I did 10 shows in a week. Other weeks I did four. Uh, the 10 shows in a week is because I did my four normal shows. I did four matches on a Saturday and two on a Sunday. So it was four matches on a Saturday, two matches on a Sunday, and then Tuesday, Friday, and maybe there's a Wednesday and there's something like that. But think about that. Four matches on a Saturday. I worked a match at like... 11 o'clock at a flea market. I did a two o'clock matinee at arena, something or other. I did an eight o'clock show. And then I did a, a late night, like show at like 10 o'clock where it was so Bush league. They had to use, uh, it was outside in a parking lot where they used something happened to the lights and they had to use people's headlights from their cars and trucks to illuminate the ring. So there you go. That was one of the, the offshoot shows. I'm sure Paco made more money off me on that show than I actually got for the check. But I would get my check and I would go cash it and I'd get a, mer- uh, a pay pesos. Then I would always go to one of those <clears throat> money exchanging shops um, uh, where you would see what the uh, exchange rate was. And like I said, it was always 3.15 to the dollar. So like I said, if I, if I walked in there with 3,000 pesos, I'd walk out with $1,000. One day I show up and the rate is at seven. I'm like, what? Yesterday it was 3.15 and it's seven? This place sucks. I'm going to another place. Another place, seven. Another place, seven. Another place, seven. I'm like, what the hell happened? Found out that there was a new president came in there or whatever it was. The exchange rate instantly, overnight, doubled plus or was half plus, whatever. So now if I had 3,000 pesos... Before, that would give me $1,000. Now, 3000 d- divided by seven instead of divided by, you know, one would be 150. Uh, 3000 divided by, I'm not exactly much of a... Point being that it would now take 7,000 pesos to make that $1,000. The 3,000 pesos that used to be $1,000 was now basically, you know, 300 bucks or 350 bucks, that sort of a thing. And I couldn't believe it. I, I didn't know what to do. And I went to talk to Paco and he said, listen, you don't, it's, the reason why your money went down is nothing that you did or nothing that I did. It's the exchange. So I can't pay you $1,000 American a week anymore because my, my revenue isn't going up. My revenue remains the same. So if you know if I paid you three thousand before and that was a thousand bucks and now I'm paying you three thousand, it's four hundred and twenty bucks. It's not me that's causing the problem. It's the exchange. I mean, there's, there's nothing I can do, and I basically had to just eat the fact that my salary was just basically cut, you know, over half by circumstances that were not my fault or Paco's fault, and that's when. Um, I knew that it was time that I had to go. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't afford to work there anymore being used to the level that I had. And think about this, like once again, being, being a cover, you know, a a cover boy, so to speak, a literal teenage heartthrob. I remember, I remember leaving arena Mexico and just being mobbed by, by chicks, like literally mobbed. I'm not even, this is not exaggeration. It's like, like, like Chrisomania, like Beatlemania with, with girls. They always had this really bright, red lipstick so when they kissed you on the cheek as you're trying to get away it would stain and it would be there for like a week and you'd sit there with a with a ta- uh, a face cloth just rubbing at it trying to get it off and, and you know it took a while to get it off but so i i, I was a, a main event star i was uh um 
you know, a, a cover model and getting a couple side gigs with, you know, commercials and comic books and that sort of thing. I was making at some point, at some points, $2,000 a week, which for a 22, 23 year old kid whose expenses are paid, I'd have to pay for any, any of my trans because I would, you would turn that your receipts in and get your expenses paid for, for the bus travel and all that stuff. My hotel was paid. I would have to pay my flight there and back. But if I'm staying there for, for 10 weeks, what's a flight going to cost a thousand bucks every couple, couple months or every three months or whatever. So you're looking at $2,000 a week or $1,500 a week. Like I said, that thousand dollars was my minimum. I always work more than four shows a week or very, very rarely only work four shows a week. So you would be making some really good money. I would go home at some point. I mean, you know, there's that rule uh, when you, when you, when you uh, fly across a border and you fill out your, your uh, customs form and it says, do you have any cash over $10,000? If you do, you have to claim it. Well, the one time I was there for 10 weeks, when I was making two grand a week, I mean, dude, I, I had like seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars. I had to hide that. I had to hide it. I wasn't going to claim it and have to pay taxes. So I hid. You know, you imagine this twenty-three-year-old kid flying home from Mexico to Calgary, going through L.A. with seventeen thousand dollars cash on him. I'm lucky I didn't get rolled. You kidding me? But that's all because of of the push that I got in Mexico which was a direct result of Paco. Once again, too, when I mentioned working for Tenru and WAR, that was a direct result of Paco uh, uh, helping me. Because one of the things I asked him, I said, Paco, I really want to go to Japan. He said, well, we have connections with New Japan. We have connections with WAR. I'll make sure you go. Now, obviously, it was probably not a hard sell, especially with Asai, who saw me working in Mexico. And probably, uh, probably when Paco said, can you take him? He went, yeah, no problem. I was, I was probably going to ask him anyways or whatever it was. But Paco really helped me out. That's a funny story, too. That's where I met Giotto and Gato was when they worked for Paco uh, and they were a tag team. You know, I remember one point in time, neither none of us had any money, but I had more money than they did. And I remember I bought them a hot dog one time for lunch because they had no money. And we went to a, a restaurant. They, they wanted the hot dog, by the way. I didn't say, here's a hot dog. I said, I'll buy you whatever you want. They said, we'll take two hot dogs. That's it. You don't want like a steak sandwich or a you know a fruit salad or this is high high class cuisine here at the uh, Denny's of Mexico. But that was also another lifelong relationship that I got from from meeting Paco. So yeah, when I left, it was all under good terms. I never worked another match in Mexico again until I worked one match for AAA in Tijuana in about ninety five or ninety six um, when I was down there and, and Conan kind of had me come down and work a show for him. And I felt a little bit weird. I felt almost like a traitor. Like I should call Paco and tell him I'm working this show. And it was a shitty little show and nobody cared anyways. But I just remember thinking like feeling a little bit uh, uh, like a traitor, you know? So that was it. I never went back to Mexico until probably 2005, maybe with, uh, with WWE. And one of the times I went there, I went with Marty Rubicabla. Marty Elias was the referee. And I said, you want to go see Arena Mexico? And took him down to Arena Mexico. And here we are in, let's say, 2008. Just throw that date out there where I hadn't been there since 1995. 13 years later, I walk in there, go up to the office. First person I see is Lupita. She's still working for Baco. Spoke a little bit better English, but not much. My Spanish was a little better too. But that's another thing too. I spoke really good Spanish when I worked for Paco. Because when you live in Mexico City and work there, you need to know how to speak Spanish. And I was probably, I'd say about 70% 
Spanish speaking, slang and all that sort of stuff. But once again, just these cool little things that I learned as a direct, as direct result of working for, for Paco Alonso. But I went to, to see, see him. Lupita was there. I went into his office and it was like a day hadn't passed. Still looked the same. Had a little bit more of a beard. Chris, good to see you. So excited for your success. And thank you so much for all you did. And friendly guy. And he gave me his card. I've moved a couple of times since. So I don't have it anymore. But And I'm sure we took a picture. But um, I don't think I have it. That was, you know, four or five phones ago. And I don't think it was, there was pre-Instagram. But uh, I remember just telling him, hey, thank you for for all that you did for me. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. And uh, I just remember just feeling really good about seeing Paco again and kind of letting him know, like, thanks for, for all that you did. And it's one of those things that in life, a lot of times, a promoter called Bob Puppets just passed away recently. That was the guy who gave me my first match. October 2nd, 1990, and uh, he died of cancer. And I didn't even know he was sick because I would have loved to have called him and said, you know, thanks for the opportunity, Bob, and thanks for putting me on your show when you didn't have to. And that's the same thing I want to say to Paco. Thanks to Paco Alonso for giving me an opportunity and making me into a legitimate star. The first time I was ever a star, a main event star, a money-making star. And those are things that you learn that you never forget. Because once you become a main event star in one place, nine out of 10 times you can become a main event star in another place and another place and another place and another place because that's how you learn how to be a top guy. And that's one thing I'm very happy about my career. I didn't make it to the WWE in nine years. I made it in Mexico and Japan, in Germany, in Canada, in ECW, in Smoky Mountain, in WCW, had I not had some of those skills, I might not have made it as big as I did in WWE when I finally got it rolling. But that all started with Paco. The first time I was ever on TV was Paco Alonso. The first time I was on the cover of a magazine was Paco Alonso. The first time I was ever on a talk show that meant something was Paco Alonso. All of those things, championship matches and ring music and uh, you know pictures with, with rock stars and models and you know, it was a different world and it's hard to explain because it's not all documented on computers like it is now. But at that point in time, I was, you know, Nick Jonas of Mexico. Legit nationwide teenage heartthrob and Paco knew it. And that's why I say it's so important now for us like AEW to have Jungle Boy, a 23-year-old kid. You need those young kids for the young girls and the young guys to, 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 to be able to, to follow as a role model, as somebody you want to be. Paco saw this 22-year-old kid, this 23-year-old kid, and said, I can make a star out of him. Was my work great at the time? No, but there was enough there that he put me with Negro Casas, and he put me with El Dandy, and he put me with Asai, and he put me with Bestia Salvaje, and Sangre Chicana, and Silver King, and Tejano, and Dr. Wagner Jr., and Emilio Charles. These names might not mean anything to you, but if you know about Lucha Libre, these guys were fucking great. Atlantis. And they didn't treat me like a 22-year-old foreigner. They treated me like a, a legit asset that could help them look better and could make their job better. They were true pros because they worked for a total gentleman. Thank you, Conan, whose name was Paco Alonso. And I'm glad I got the chance to thank him. And do I feel a little weird that I posted a video on Instagram that shows me crying and 250,000 people watched it? A little bit, but it was, it's real. I don't cry a lot. I'm not much of a crier. 
But that one hit me. I hadn't thought about Paco Alonso in a while, but whenever I think about him, I always say the same thing. One of the best bosses I ever had. And to hear that he passed away really hit me, man, because it sucks. And I'm really interested to see what's going to happen with CMLL because that guy ran it the same way that I'm interested to see what's going to happen with Vince when he passes away, which will probably be in 50 years. But <laughs> uh, anyways, Paco Alonso, great guy. And thank you so much for everything that you did and for uh, showing me what potential I had to become a legit star in this business. Gracias, senor. All right, thank you guys for listening. And uh, I know it's kind of a last minute thing, but I really wanted to do this and I appreciate it. And uh, we'll get to our Nikki Novak movie preview next week on Friday. We got Jack Slade coming back with a, a great preview for uh, Extreme Rules. But in the meantime and in between time, I want you to come with us on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at C Part 2, January 20th, 2020. We're nearly sold out. We're 92% sold out, less than 90 cabins left. Uh, you can see it if you've been watching the ads and seeing how we're doing things here. Uh, every single day, we're selling more cabins. I do not want you to miss this. Uh, it's going to be such a great time. It's going to be a vacation of a lifetime. AEW Wrestling live on board. Fozzie live on board. Ric Flair. What else do you get a chance to spend a week with Ric Flair? Are you kidding me? Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, Jake the Snake Roberts, Charmel, Booker T, MVP, Brad Williams is the host. He's hilarious. Vicky Guerrero uh, is going to be there. Shawl, Eddie's daughter, is going to be there with the Vaudettes. Her burlesque troupe is going through the roof. I'm so excited for you to see them. Jack Slade, Keeper of the Ice, uh, uh, <laughs> Red Cup Jeff. Teddy Irvin is going to be there telling some great stories on Keeping It 100, the third anniversary show. If you haven't heard that, go check it out. Uh, Conan's show, still killing it. Uh, and Teddy Irvin is a great guest. Kick Axe, Jared James Nichols, uh, Light the Torch, Farewell to Fear, Rubik's Cube, Killer Queen, Dave Spivak Project, all rocking the ship. Um, so much fun. DDP is doing some great yoga. Uh, Beyond the Darkness, I talked to Dave Schrader today. He's got something very cool. They're going to tell campfire ghost stories with a fake fire and uh, hot chocolate, and it's just going to be a blast. So I really want you guys to be there. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Pick up one of the remaining cabins. I was looking today. There's still six levels of cabins left. 16 of them are sold up, but the ones that are left, you still got great cabins. Every cabin on this is awesome. So please come uh, join us on that. And come join us uh, in Mansfield, Ohio, this Friday, Fozzie Incarceration with uh, Shinedown, uh, Skillet, and Fozzie. Uh, and then Nickelback, doing a couple dates with them, August 22nd and 24th, Uncasville, Connecticut, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Unleashed in the West with Fozzie in September. Uh, we're opening for Iron Maiden in Los Angeles on September 14th at the Bank of California Stadium. So we decided to book a whole tour around it. Denver, September 5. Colorado Springs, September 6. September 7, Grand Junction, Colorado. Salt Lake City on the 8th. Crystal Bay, Nevada on the 11th. San Francisco on the 12th. 13th, the Sacramento. 14, LA with Iron Maiden. 15, Counts Famped in Las Vegas. 18 in San Diego. 19 in Tempe, Arizona. 20 in Tucson, Arizona. El Paso on the 21st. 25th, Dallas, Texas. 26th, Houston, Texas. Uh, we got Sons of Texas joining us for the Texas shows. September 27th, Hattiesburg at Bruce, Brewski's. Atlanta, Georgia, 28th uh, uh, at the Masquerade. Come join us. Jared James Nichols opening all the shows. And come check out our uh, VIP meet and greet, FozzyRock.com, for all info on the meet and greet, uh, great meet and greet that we do, and all the shows themselves. All right, we're looking forward to Friday. Jack Slade returns for the band. Uh, the Extreme Rules Preview that does not want you to hear. It's going to have a lot of fun. We're going to get ridiculous as always. Until then, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs. And a big yeah, boy. Muchas gracias, Senor Paco Alonso. We love you, man. And uh, we'll see you very soon on the other side. Cross on de Leon. All right. Oh, yeah.